All right. Well, uh, we are in the middle of a sermon series. Happy Father's Day, by the way, guys. Happy Father's Day. And just so you know, we, um, we have a special gift for you. It's a real manly gift. And um, I'm very excited about this because we've usually done like ice cream cones, which are great. I mean, dads love ice cream cones and everything else, but we actually have a real manly gift. It's a pocket knife with a Mission View logo and everything. So yeah, you can hurt yourself, guys. Yeah, manly. Yeah, is this or, you know, ammo. I don't know. It was something manly. You know, we would do something. But it's sharp, so be careful, guys. There's the disclaimer. There's a disclaimer. Don't, don't cut yourself or anything. Be careful with your new pocket knife. You'll always be ready. It's got scissors and everything. So, But anyways, we're, um, yeah, we're in a, a manly sermon series, too, by the way. We're in the series called The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. And um, as we were going through this, I was talking to the other pastors, and um, I said, hey, guys, we're getting ready to go into this sermon series, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. And, um, you know, you guys have seen the movie, right? And they're like, no, I haven't seen the movie. I'm like, what? You haven't seen, you know, a classic Clint Eastwood, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly? I said, well, you've got to come over for ribs. I'm going to smoke some ribs. We're going to watch The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. I forgot that The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly is a three-hour-plus movie. <laughs> That's actually a war movie about the Civil War, and um, so I remember they, they came over, we had ribs, we sat down, we get halfway through the movie, and I'm, I'm about to fall asleep because, you know, ribs take a long time to smoke, and it's late at night, and, uh, but we did end up finishing the movie or whatever, but we're in this series, but what we're doing is we're looking at the life of King Saul, the first king of Israel. And kind of what we're going to see and what we've seen already, Andrew did a great job. He talked about um, good Saul. I mean, his life starts out good as king. I mean, everything's going well. He's anointed by Samuel. This is, you can find this all in, all in the book of 1 Samuel. So this week when you go home, be sure you read the book of 1 Samuel. You can read it uh, pretty quick in one sitting. And you're going to see all kinds of crazy stuff. But his life starts out really good as king. He's anointed and everything else. And what, we, what we're going to see, especially today, is it takes a turn downward really quickly. And, and it gets really bad. And then by the end, it is ugly. So the life of Saul, the good, the bad, and the ugly, we're looking at what we can learn from this. I don't know about you, but one of my big takeaways from Andrew's sermon was that the, the people of God didn't need a king. They had God. God was their king. He was their protector, their provider, their caregiver. I mean, God was everything that they needed. But they looked at the people groups that were around them. They, 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 wanted, they, they wanted something different. But, you know, what God gives us, who God is, what God says, his word, his truth is what's best for us. And I, I found myself, after listening to Andrew Summer, I found myself thinking to myself, man, we do the same thing. We open God's word and we read it and we're like, this is, this is good, this is right, this is truth, this is what's best for me. And then I, I go about living my life throughout the day and I see different things, I experience different things, I see what other people have, I see what other people are experiencing and I'm thinking to myself, Maybe, maybe I, I need what they have. Maybe, maybe that would be what's best for me. Is that mic cutting out just a little bit? All right, so I'll use the hand. Is this one on, Doug? Oh, there we go. Well, that's different, isn't it? You're going to have to turn me down, Doug. i got a big mouth. 
I used to be a worship leader, so I sang. You know, I'm really loud, really obnoxious sometimes. But no, so we see this, this idea that God's people thought they knew what was best. Right? And any time that we, we look at God's word, any time we look at the truth that God has given us, the guidelines that he set before us, they're for our good. And God's best is the best. And, I mean, you know, what? sometimes God gives us what we want in order to show us what we really truly need. And, man, he's done that with Israel here in 1 Samuel. They wanted a king. He gave them a king. And you know what? Every man is a sinner. <laughs> Every human being is a sinner and will fail and will fall over and over again. And as we put our trust in or as we see the Israelites put their trust in Saul, man, it just turns south really fast. So that's one of the big takeaways that I got is that we, we don't want to be like the Israelites here in this story. We want to trust God. We want to trust his truth. And his best is the best. I don't want to add anything to it. I don't want to take anything away from it. What he gives us, what he has for us is enough. And man, the Israelites are learning that the hard way. And I'm about to tell you, Saul's about to learn that the hard way too. Let's pray before we jump into 1 Samuel in our series today. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is truth. God, that is what you have for us. And, and Father, we want to say right now, we submit to your word. We submit to your truth. We submit to you. So, Father, come and do what only you can do in our lives right now. Come and change us. Change our minds. Change our hearts. God, we want to be different people walking out of here than when we walked in. And the only way that's going to happen is if we meet with you, if your Holy Spirit does the supernatural work of changing us. Only you can do that, God. So come and do that in me, come and do that in all of us, right here in this room, and watching at home right now, Father. Come and have your way. We surrender to you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Let's go to uh, chapter 13 in 1 Samuel. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If not, we'll put some of these scriptures up on the screen. You can follow along that way. We're kind of going through 1 Samuel kind of from a bird's eye perspective. So we'll be jumping around, and I'll try and get you caught up as we go through each one of these uh, verses and chapters here. But when chapter 13, we'll start in verse 8. But as we pick up the story here, Saul had a small victory against the Philistines, and he's been riding around, blowing the trumpet all over the land, boasting this huge victory the Philistines had had enough of it, and they, they put together one of the largest armies Israel had ever seen. It was, get this, 30,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen, and troops like the sands of the seashore. This is one of the largest armies ever seen. So now the Israelites are like freaking out and hiding anywhere they could in cisterns and in holes and in caves. They're hiding and shaking in their boots and, and um, anywhere they could. And Saul is waiting for Samuel to come and bless the battle. You never went into battle without God's blessing. And the priest had to come and give that blessing. This was the rules. This was what God's best was, that the priest would speak for God. He would anoint the king. He would come and do these things. He would bless the battle. This is the guidelines, the best that God had set aside. So here, we're picking up in verse 8 of chapter 13. It says, he waited seven days. 
the, appointed, the time appointed by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal. And the people were scattering from him. So Saul said, bring the burnt offering here to me and the peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. As soon as he had finished offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came. And Saul went out to meet and greet him. Samuel said, what have you done? And Saul said, when I saw that the people were scattering from me and that you did not come within the days appointed and that the Philistines had mustered at Michmash, I said, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal and I have not sought the favor of the Lord. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God with which he commanded you. For then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people. Because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. And Samuel arose and went up from Gilgal. The rest of the people went up after Saul to meet the army. They went up from Gilgal to Gilbeah of Benjamin. Now, the first thing I kind of want us to pull out of this, this part of Saul's story is that pride and selfishness hinder our obedience. Pride and selfishness hinder obedience. Now, I've always said that we make our plans in pencil, but God makes his plans in pen. And the hard part of trusting is when things don't go as planned, when God takes his eraser to our pencil plans. Have you guys ever experienced that? You know what's coming. You've got it written down. You've had these ideas. You've financially planned. You've emotionally gotten yourself ready for whatever it is to come. And then God's like, nope, not going that direction. You thought it was this house, or you thought it was this job, or you thought it was this person that was going to be your spouse, or you thought it was this school that you were going to go to. No matter what it is, when things get shifted, when God takes that eraser to our penciled plans, it is difficult. That's where the rubber really meets the road in our Christian walk. That's, that's where it really becomes difficult. Saul is here. He's waiting with his followers. He's waiting on Samuel. And Samuel doesn't show up. What does it say? In the appointed time. It was seven days. Here's the plan. Samuel's like, I'll be there seven days. We'll show up. This will be great. Bless the battle. Win. Everything's going to be fine. Seven days go by. No Samuel. People are freaking out. The Israelites are running and scattering and hiding. And Saul's there going, what in the world is going on? This, this is war. I mean, this was war. Lives were on the line. They were getting ready to go in battle. They needed the blessing of the Lord. They needed the prophet, the priest to come and do what only the God-appointed priest could do and make that offering to the Lord. I'm sure Saul's in this moment, like, just standing there going, what in the world am I supposed to do? This is one of the largest armies I have ever seen. 60,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen, an army that looked like the seashore, the sands of the seashore, if you can imagine. One of the, I mean, what am I going to do? Samuel's not here. Everybody's running away. They're hiding in wells. I mean, they're hiding in caves. They're scattering everywhere. What am I going to do? Doesn't, doesn't Samuel know? I mean, lives are on the line here. God, what'd you do with Samuel? God, don't you know what, what's going on here? Lives are, are going to be lost. We need your blessing. We can't go forward in this. 
What am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do? How am I going to handle this? Well, somebody's got to step up to the plate. Somebody's got to take the reins on this thing, right? I mean, it's, it's all about to, to fall apart. This army is going to come against us. Everybody's going to die. Somebody has to do something. God, if you're not going to do something, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll save everybody. Bring me the burnt offerings. Bring them to me. I'll take care of things. I'll do it. Obviously, God doesn't have a plan. He doesn't care. He's not thinking of me. He doesn't see my fear. He doesn't, he doesn't understand my pain. He doesn't, he doesn't get loneliness. And so quickly, when we come into really difficult times in our lives, we can, we can disconnect the reality of the compassion, mercy, and grace of God from who he is. We, we, we go into the battle, whether it be with anxiety or some type of suffering or loss or the unknown, and, and we feel all these emotions and we deal with all these different struggles. And that's the human life, right? That, like that, that, all of us deal with those things. All of us have those things. But, but, it's, but it's in that, that mess, in that emotion that we're just like, I thought God loved me. Like, I, I, I thought he was all powerful. Like, I'm all for the sovereignty of God as long as he does what I said to do. Right? I mean, have you ever felt that way? I mean, we can be honest. It's in church, right? Have you ever felt that way? I mean, I'm all about God's providence until it's not my plan. Right? But it's when we're dealing with those hard emotions, when we're going through that fear, anxiety, whatever it may be, you can throw in whatever you want to put in there, that we disconnect the, the grace and mercy and love of God with who he is for us, me, personally. Man, and when we do that, <laughs> it goes really bad. And this is where Saul goes really bad. He breaks God's law. And this is, this is a great truth we can learn from Saul's life. Is Here's how you know that you, you have your trust in God is, is struggling and you have some things in your life that you value a little bit too much. Saul valued his people following him. He valued um, those that the winning the war or whatever it may be, this, this kingship title and, and everyone around him. He valued them so much so he was willing to sin, break God's law, and make these offerings that only a priest can make in order to go into the battle and be the king that he thought he should be. So anytime in our lives, if we're willing to break God's law in order to have peace of mind or ease of life or whatever it may be, if we're willing to break God's law to get that, whatever that thing is, that has become an idol in our lives. That, that it could be a good thing or a bad thing, but it's become a God thing, little g, in our lives. And we need to hand that over to the Lord. You see, it's kind of pride, right? I mean, being king wasn't enough for Saul. He had to be priest, too. 
Somebody had to step up, right? Pride leads us to destruction, but trusting God will lead us to victory. And here's the thing about God. I want, let's, let's just remind ourselves of God's faithfulness. God made a promise to Abraham, and he fulfilled it. He made a promise to David, and he fulfilled it. He made a promise to Moses, and he fulfilled it. He made a promise to all who would trust and believe in him, and he fulfilled it when he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for you and me. God never fails. He is faithful no matter what we do, no matter how many mistakes we make, no matter what direction we go. God is faithful, and he's proven himself faithful over the centuries, centuries, and centuries. God is faithful, and he is trustworthy. But no human is trustworthy. Every one of us will sin, but God is fully and totally trustworthy. And he's proven it over and over and over and over and over again. When we look at this, man, you can see the mistake that the Israelites made. And why God was like, you don't need a king. You have me. But the Israelites, man, no, we want a king. We want a king. We want someone who will fail. We want a human. That's not trustworthy. I mean, looking back on it, we can be silly about it and be like, wow, you know, how dense can you be? But, but we do the same thing. Have you heard the song, Trust and Obey? Trust and obey. There's no other way to be. What is it? Faith, happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. It's old hymn, right? Trust and obey. But as I was reading through this, this text and just meditating on it, man, what a great, what a great truth to trust and obey. Uh, uh, those two pieces, trusting and obedience, go hand in hand. Now get this. Saul, Saul actually did what God commanded him to do. He conquered the people. He went out and, and battled for the Lord. He went and conquered the Philistines, but he didn't go about it the way God told him to because he didn't trust God and thought too highly of himself. You see, our lack of trust will negatively affect our obedience. Did you know that you can actually do what God's telling you to do in a sinful way? That's what Saul did. He, he went and conquered the village. Hey, hey, man, I'm just doing what you told me to do, right? God, I'm just, I'm just doing what you told me to do. Did you know we can, we can, we can obey God in a sinful way? Saul's our, our perfect example. Saul's lack of trust revealed his pride, and he did something unthinkable. He did something so far off of the grid, it was, it was unbelievable. He, he, he stepped into a priestly rule, something that it would have been, is and should be shocking even to us looking back at this. This was a worship job set aside only for the tribe of Levi, only for the priests. And, and, and Saul is of the tribe of Benjamin. This is a warring tribe. They, they were not even allowed to touch priestly things or be or, do or be or do around the priestly work of the Levites. When we humbly trust in the Lord, we can rightly obey the Lord. When we humbly trust the Lord, we can rightly obey the Lord. Here's what I mean. And stick with me here. We're gonna make it, we're gonna go a little rabbit trail. Trust comes only through relationship. 
and obedience can only be worked out through trust. Did you follow me there? Trust comes only through relationship, and obedience can only be worked out through trust. So trust and obedience are a fruit of a deeply cultivated relationship with God. If we want to trust and obey God, we have to have a deeply cultivated relationship with God. Are you following me there? How do we cultivate deep relationship? What does that look like? I mean, if I want to trust and obey, I have to have a deeply cultivated relationship with God. So how do I do that? And it's the same way that we cultivate relationship with our loved ones. I'll tell you a quick story here along these same lines. I remember the first time that I met my wife, Janelle. I had just um, gotten back from Vancouver, B.C., where I attended Pacific Worship School. And um, in high school, I had a long relationship that ended. And when I was at worship school, I dated a girl for a very short time. And I was really convinced that I was going to be single for the rest of my life. And I had given that over to the Lord. And I was ready to, you know, as as Paul says, it's better to be single. You know, I just read that over and over again. And I was like, it's better to be single. I'm going to be single for the rest of my life. And and that that Sunday, I get back from worship school. Um, I was playing lead guitar in in the worship team. And I'll never forget it. I'm standing up there, and I look over right over here on the right-hand side on the aisle way is this beautiful girl with her hands raised just singing her heart out. And I was like, there's my wife. There's my wife. And, I, I, you know, I, I prayed to the Lord, yes, Lord, I'll be single for the rest of my life. Yes, Lord, I'll be like Paul, you know, whatever that looks like, Lord, I surrender to you. There's my wife, right? And so I go to all my friends. This is kind of the church I had kind of grown up in. So I go to all my buddies, and I'm like, hey, who's the new girl, you know? And they're like, oh, don't ask her out. Ricky, ask her out. She blew him off, man. She's, you know, she's kind of. And so I'm like, challenge accepted. And uh, they say, well, she serves in the youth ministry. And, and so I go to my, who was my youth pastor growing up, Brian Locke. And I go to Brian. I say, hey, Brian, man. Um, I hear there's a, a new girl working in the youth ministry. And right then I knew God had called me into youth ministry. <laughs> no, but Brian, Brian kind of laughed and joked around me. He goes, yes, it's Joe now. And um, I've got the perfect scenario here. She actually beat me in bowling, which is actually something. Brian bowls like 280 average. I think Janelle bowled like 283 and beat him in bowling. And he had said before the whole youth group went bowling, anybody beats me, I'll buy you a steak dinner. Well, he was engaged to somebody else, so he's not going to take Joe now on a, a date for steak. So I got the date with Joe now, and the rest is history. But here's the, the point of the story. I wanted to develop and cultivate a, a deep relationship with her. And so for that entire summer, we saw each other every day. I mean, every day. I think you went out of town to Louisville for like three days, and I missed those three days, but we talked on the phone. Every day we saw each other and talked and we're developing this relationship, and we're, we're, going, we're trying to, to get to know each other. We're asking all these questions. The first date we went to was Friendly's Ice Cream, and we were going to go see Twister. I'm dating myself just a little bit, and that's okay. I'm 45. Don't do the math, okay? And we're going to see, we're going to see this movie. We go out for ice cream. We're sitting eating ice cream. We're seeing the 715 showing. 715 comes and goes. We're talking, and I'm asking all these questions and all this stuff. And We wanted to develop and cultivate a deep relationship, I asked her to marry me about six months later. Husbands, wives, what would, you, what would your marriage relationship 
look like if you looked at your spouse and said, all right, we're going to talk from 10 to 11 on Sunday morning, and then I'll see you next week. What would it look like? You'd be sleeping on the couch or in the doghouse, right? No, you, that's real relationship is pursuit. Real relationship is vulnerability. Real relationship is, is opening up your heart, pouring out your heart to that person. Real relationship is wanting to know that person, trying to draw as much about who they are out of them and hear them. Cultivating deep relationship with God is going to his word and saying, who are you? Man, I, I, I've heard about you. I've memorized some of these scriptures. I've heard some of these stories. But, but really, who are you? What does that look like for me? Who am I? Who do you say I am? You're my creator. You're God. You're sovereign. You're all powerful. What do you say about me, God? The Christian life, if we're going to have deeply cultivated relationship, deep intimate relationship with God, it can't be done in an hour on Sunday morning. It has to be pursuit. It has to be running after Christ. Learning about him, growing in our faith, growing in our trust, growing in our vulnerability. And God doesn't just call us into relationship with him. He calls us into relationship with our brothers and sisters in Christ. That's why one of the core values of Mission View Church is community groups. That every person coming, attending, being a member of Mission View Church would be connected in a small group of people where we can actually live out the one another's that are talked about all through Scripture. Care for one another. Love one another. Confess your sins to one another. Serve one another. All these different things that the Bible teaches us you cannot do on your own. They're meant to be done in relationship with one another. And you talk about trust and vulnerability and risk. It is, <laughs> you cannot have relationship without risk. Our purpose here at Mission View Church is to love God and love others. That we will love God and love others. And God put that, that's the great commandment in Scripture if you haven't heard that. And he puts it in there in that order on purpose. Love God love others. Our love for others is based on not their performance, not their kindness, not their goodness, not their gentleness, not their nice words, not their affirmations. Our love for others is based on God's love for me and his command for me to love others. Because let's be honest, we're not always lovable. Don't be shocked. I know. I'm not always lovable. And you're not always lovable. But God calls us to even love our enemies. And we do that because God loved us. And he showed us that love in his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. Loving God, loving others. Deep relationship. If we're going to trust and obey, it has to come out of a deeply cultivated relationship with our creator. Let's move on. Let's jump to chapter 15, verse 19. There's something really crazy that happens here. We're going to pick up the story after Saul has won the battle. And his son, actually, Paul, um, not Saul, 
winning the battles as much as his son Jonathan. If you read through this, Jonathan, Saul's son, is, is pretty amazing. and he's, he's done most of the battle winning. Saul just runs around on a horse blowing a trumpet saying how great he is, and Jonathan's doing much of the hard work. But Saul has already begun to understand at this point that God was not on his side anymore. I mean, Samuel said it in that first part, your kingdom would have been forever, but now God's searching for a man after his own heart. Who's the man after his own heart? Do you guys remember? Bible trivia? What was it? David. That's right. David's in the story now, and that's going on. But we're not talking about David. We're talking about Saul. So Saul, Saul's already begun to see that God's not on his side. Saul is beginning his disobedience, and, and, and God is having none of it. So that's kind of where we're picking up in the story here in chapter 15, verse 19. It says this, why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? This is Samuel talking to Saul. So, and Saul says to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I have gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me. I have brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and I have devoted the Amalekites to destruction. But get this, here it is. But the people took the spoil Sheep and oxen, the best of the things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. Do you see how his, his language changes here? He's pointing fingers. He's like, the Lord our God? No, no, no more. No. The Lord your God in Gilgal. And Samuel said, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold. To obey is better than sacrifice. Underline that, circle that, highlight that, put stars beside it. What a powerful truth statement. To obey is better than sacrifice. And to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination, and presumption is as in iniquity and idolatry. Now get this. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord he has also rejected you from being king. And Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. The second fill-in in your notes today is this, fear God, not man. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. That's Proverbs 9.10. So who do you fear? Who do you fear? One thing I want to point out here really quick before we get into that question I just asked is that we get a look inside of Saul's heart and what kind of man he really is in his response here. When he's confronted with his sin, what does he do? He says, I did everything right. It was the people that messed up. Is that what good leaders do? Is that what good leaders, they point the finger at their followers, right? That's, no. No, good leadership is leadership. It's owning the, what's going on. So he's, he, uh, it's, it's really bad. He's really bad. I did everything right. It was the people that messed up. Good leaders don't point fingers. We own our mistakes and we move forward growing from them. And, and we see right there at the end, it looks like Saul turns a corner, doesn't it? It's like, oh, I have sinned. You notice he doesn't get there until Samuel says, you're done. God's, you're not God's man anymore. It's over. When, when 
His throne is going to be taken away from him. Oh, I've sinned. I've sinned. And what we're going to see is that Saul became a man after power. He was, he's never, ever willing to give up his throne. He tries to kill who God brings in to be king. He tries to kill David. He doesn't own his mistakes. He doesn't, I mean, he may have said the words, but I'll tell you this. You can say you're sorry all you want, but that's not repentance. True repentance is owning what we've done, saying you're sorry, absolutely. But repentance is the word, a Greek word, metanoia, which means change. It's actual actioned change that I'm going north, now I'm going to go south. Saul never makes that change. I'm sorry is not repentance. Saul is not repentant. That's true repentance, change. So Jesus said in Matthew 10, 28, he said, Do not fear those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. You see, Saul had a fear of man. Saul had a fear of man. He was fearing what all of his people thought. Think about it. All the way back to when he were started today, and he's going into this battle, all his people were scattering, and he was fearful, so he took it on himself. He did what only the priest could do. And here we see the same thing. It's the same thing over and over again. Fear of what others think can negatively affect nearly every area of our lives. Every area. As I was thinking about this, one thing really came to mind. Do you remember what it was like being a kid? Like, I mean, really young. And, and we, can, we can tend to forget what it was like, you know, going to school for the first time. I remember going to school for the first time, and I got up, and, you know, I, I probably, you know, I don't care what I wore. I didn't worry about my hair. I didn't, I didn't think about any of that stuff. I was just so excited. I was ready to just go to school. I didn't know that there was cool kids and not cool kids. I didn't know that my shirt should match my pants. I didn't know that I needed to have the same shoes on. I could have one of each on each, you know, different. I didn't care. I was just excited. I didn't worry about what other people thought about me. I didn't think about, do you remember what that was like? I mean, think long and hard for some of us. It's been a while, right? Being 45 now, right? I remember, I remember getting dressed and, and my mom going, uh-uh, no, 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 no. We do not wear PJs to school. It's not PJ day. I think they have that nowadays, but no, you know, we didn't, we didn't think of these things. But it changes over time, right? As you grow up and you, you get older, you're going to school and you find out that you're supposed to have these kinds of shoes. You're supposed to have those kinds of jeans and you're supposed to have this kind of shirt and everybody wears their hair this way and does this and you talk like this and you walk like this. And I mean, everything, all of it just comes in on us and it changes everything. We, we have, I, I don't want to make a generalization here, but I think we probably each have to deal with a reality of some part of fear of man in us. There's, there's that, that the thing in the back of our minds is, what's so-and-so going to think, you know? Maybe they got a really, really nice house. I don't want to have them over to mine. It's not that great, you know? What would they think of me if I wore this? Well, I, I should talk like this around them because that's how they talk, you know what I mean? So I'm going to, you know, we've even let this creep into the church. How many of you come to worship on Sunday mornings 
and hesitate to sing because you're worried about what they're going to think of your voice next to you. Right? How many of you are hesitant to clap along because you have no rhythm? You, you feel it in your soul. The Holy Spirit of God is moving in you. You want to sing along. You want to clap along. Maybe tap your toe. But what about, what's, what's Jimmy going to say about me when he sees I can't clap on time? Or what's he going to say about me when he hears a joyful noise, not a third-part harmony? Think about it. Think about it. What would our worship look like if Christ was the only witness? What would our church service look like if Jesus was the only one we were worried about, concerned about, thought about? What if he was the only one we worshipped? Because when we take our eyes off of Christ and we make singing of the songs about the person we're sitting next to, or the fear, I should say, let me correct myself, the fear of the person we're sitting next to, we've made them the point of our worship. I think we all need to take a step back and see where this fear of man is encroaching in on us. Where are we being disobedient to God because of what I think of what Billy Bob thinks? Or Sue, or Sue, whoever it may be. God wants to change us in that area. I'll say, ask it this way. What is it in your life you are not doing for the Lord because of your fear of man? What is it in your life you are not doing for the Lord because of your fear of man? So here in our story, Saul, Saul has been rejected by the Lord. And um, now what's happened here, There's, if you read it in Samuel 15, 24 through 35, there's this really nasty interaction between Samuel and Saul. Hopefully you go, go today or this week sometime, read for Samuel, you'll see this nasty interaction. But God wants a man after his own heart, and this is where David's come into the picture. Samuel anoints David king, but Saul is still acting king, and this is when Saul gets really, really bad. David is moved into Saul's service. David kills Goliath. David becomes famous among the people. Saul tries to kill David. And Jonathan, Saul's son, warns David. It's a whole thing, a drama, fit for like a Netflix series you could binge. I mean, it's crazy story. But we're going to pick it up in chapter 22, verse 6. Chapter 22, verse 6. This is borderline bad and ugly. You know, I, I, this may be next week's sermon too a little bit. Now Saul heard that David was discovered and the men who were with him. And Saul was sitting at Gibeah under the tamarisk tree on the height with his spear in his hand and all his servants were standing about him. And Saul said to his servants who stood about him, Hear now, people of Benjamin, will the son of Jesse give every one of you fields and vineyards? Will he make you all commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds that all of you have conspired against me? He's talking about David. No one discloses to me when my son makes a covenant with the son of Jesse. None of you is sorry for me or discloses to me that my son has stirred up my servant against me to lie in wait as at this day. Then answered Dog the Edomite, who stood by the servants of Saul. I saw the son of Jesse coming to Nob. 
and Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub. These are great, fun words to pronounce. And he inquired of the Lord for him and gave him provisions and gave him the sword of Goliath and the Philistine. And then the king sent to summon Ahimelech, the priest, and the son of Ahitub, and all his father's house, the priests who were at Nob, and all of them came to the king. And Saul said, Hear now, son of Ahitub. And he answered him, Here I am, my lord. And Saul said to him, Why have you conspired against me, you and the son of Jesse, in that you have given him bread and a sword and have inquired of God for him, so that he has risen up against me to lie in wait as to this day? Then Ahimelech answered the king, And who among all your servants is so faithful as David? Who is the king's son-in-law and captain over your bodyguard and honored in your house? Is today the first time that you've inquired of God for him? No. Let not the king impute anything to his servant or to all the house of my father. For your servant has known nothing of all this, much or little. And the king said, you shall surely die, Ahimelech. You and all your father's house. And the king said to the guard who stood about him, Turn and kill the priests of the Lord, because their hand also is with David. And they knew that he fled and did not disclose it to me. But the servants of the king would not put their hand to strike the priests of the Lord. I'm gonna just, isn't it interesting to note here, Saul's not going to do his own dirty work? I mean, he's bringing everybody else into the sin against God. Man, misery loves company. Then the king said to Dog, you turn and strike the priests. And Dog the Edomite turned and struck down the priests and kill, he killed on that day 85 persons who wore the linen ephod. 85 men of God, priests, murdered. And Nob, the city of the priests, he put to the sword. Get this both man, woman, child, infant, ox, donkey, and sheep, he put to the sword. But one of the sons of Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub, named Abiathar, escaped and fled after David. And Abiathar told David that Saul had killed the priests of the Lord. And David said to Abiathar, I knew on that day when Dog the Edomite was there that he would surely tell Saul, I have occasioned the death of all the persons of your father's house. Stay with me. Do not be afraid. For he who seeks my life seeks yours. With me, you shall be in safekeeping. Can you imagine? Saul killing all the priests. I mean, the priests are the one who anointed him king. Here's the third point. Last point for today. Sin blinds us. Sin blinds us. How can Saul kill God's priest? Is he so far gone, he's willing to murder those who speak for the Lord? The one who make offerings of atonement for the people. The worship leaders. He's anointed by the priest. Wasn't this man, wasn't Saul God's chosen one? He was a good guy, right? When it started, he, he was a handsome guy, strong guy. He was head and shoulders above the rest. Yes, but when we give ourselves over to pride, the lust for power and control, when we give ourselves over to sin, we blind ourselves to our own blindness. And we do something as crazy as killing God's chosen. 
Sin distorts our view, fogs our discernment, and warps our understanding of truth. Being king wasn't enough for Saul. He wanted to be priest. He didn't want to wait for the approval or direction or blessing. He was king with a lowercase k, and he wanted to be king with a capital K. There's a disconnect that happens when we overstep our place that God has given us. And that's what we do when we try and solve our problems apart from the Lord. When we try and take control of things in our lives that really only God controls. And we've all done it. We go to our solutions before we go to God in prayer. We force or rush our plans and ideas without consulting God or going to his word or asking a trusted brother or sister in Christ to speak in to our situations. A part of it is patience, but another part of it is pride. Saul was impatient and prideful. He took matters into his own hands, and boy, has he paid the price. Not only has he lost the throne, he's holding on to it with his own strength right now, right? David's actually the anointed king, and he's killing God's priests. He took matters into his own hands, and he's paying the price. He is so deep into his own sin, he's doing things he never thought he would ever do. He's so blinded by his sin, his lust for power, his pride, his throne, the people following him, his fear of everyone, that he's doing things he, I'm sure he never thought he would do. When it started, when he was leading for the first few years, it was great. Everything was fine. He was God's man. But he took his eyes off the Lord, and now he's doing things he never ever planned or wanted or thought he would do. Have you ever been there? Have you ever done something you never thought you would do? Maybe you're there right now. Maybe it's an addiction to pornography, alcohol, or some other drug. Maybe that relationship with someone has gone too far. Maybe the little white lies have led to habitual lying to cover up that last, last little white lie. I have to say this. Sin has blinded you to your own blindness. We look at these things. We can glance at these things. And the next thing you know, they have your heart. And you're doing something you never, ever thought you would do. We see it in Saul's life. If that's you today, I want you to know this. There is forgiveness and there is hope and there is freedom in the person of Jesus Christ. God sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to live a perfect life free from addiction. He had had a perfect life. He he never looked at a woman lustfully. He He never did any of those things. Not in thought or in deed. Jesus was perfect. He came and did. He lived the perfect life that you and I can't live. He did what we couldn't do. He's God's only son. 
truly God and truly man. And then he took all the sin on himself. He took your sin and my sin, that sin that you're struggling with right now. Jesus took on himself and took up on the cross and it killed it on the cross. Jesus died for you and me. Jesus died for the sins that you are in right now. But he didn't stay dead. Three days later, he rose from the grave, defeating sin and death. He ascended back into heaven and now sits at the right hand of God the Father and will come back again one day to judge all. He's a righteous God and he will judge sin and his wrath stands for sin. But in Christ, we can have the forgiveness and the grace and the mercy that is offered by God through his son, Jesus. And all he asks, all he says is, put your trust in me. The perfect life that I've lived, the sinner's death that I died for you. And when you get to heaven, you're not going to hand over your resume of good works. The 35 mission trips you've been on, the 400 people you've led to the Lord, that's not what you're going to hand over. You're going to hand over the life of Christ. Perfect in thought and deed. So I don't know what you're dealing with. I don't know what sin it is. But God says, bring it to the cross. This world can entangle us. Sin can entangle us. But we have freedom in Jesus. Friend, don't live in that anymore. God has something better for you. And there's, there's so much we can learn from the life of Saul. I had, I'd written this sermon three or four different ways because there's just so much in there. So this week, take the time to read through 1 Samuel and see what God reveals to you as His Holy Spirit moves on your hearts. If you're struggling today, I want to um, invite you up for prayer afterwards. Don't leave here today without getting prayer. I know we have some elders here and some prayer people here that would love to pray with you, and they'll be up here at the front of the stage. Please come and receive prayer. We'd love to pray with you. You can find freedom in Christ. Let's pray together before we dismiss. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for all that you've done in us and for us in Jesus Christ. And we just pray that you would come have your way right now in the lives and the hearts of the people that are struggling. All of us have been there. All of us struggle from time to time. Sin that entangles us so, so quickly. Father, be with us. Help us to say no to sin and, and say yes to you, Father. Come and do what only you can do in the hearts and the lives of your people. Change us for your glory, for your kingdom as we surrender to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you'd like to receive prayer, please feel free to come forward. We'd love to pray with you. But remember this week, God's created you to be his treasure here on earth. He loves you. Go and give that love away to everyone you meet, and we'll see you here next Sunday. God bless you guys. Have a great week.